The Better Business Analysis Institute presents the Better Business Analysis podcast with Kingsman Walsh. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Better Business Analysis Podcast with Benjamin Walsh. Now, I've been away for a couple of weeks, uh, having a Christmas and New Year's break, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed your break. I hope you had a chance to relax, even if it was just a couple of days over the Christmas period. Uh, Here in New Zealand, this is our longest break, uh, because it's summertime, and it's usually the chance to uh, just turn off for a bit, not work, um, spend time with family. And just, yeah, just relax a little bit and we have barbecues and we go to the beach. It's generally what New Zealanders do at this time. Now we're going to start 2024 off with a question that I get asked, not always directly. Um, It is actually, there is no particular one answer to this. So we're going to go through five possible uh, scenarios, really. Um, for um, for solving this problem. It's a problem that every BA has, and I actually will challenge you today and say if you do not have this problem, if you do not encounter this problem on your project, then I don't know if the team is necessarily high-performing. Now, I'm saying that, that may not be fair, there could be scenarios where the scope of your piece of work is so well defined it's so simple it's just um to a point where actually you do, you may not even need a ba to be fair where you you know the requirement is very very clear um you could call it a, um, a standardized service request is another way of stating this where the requirements has previously been done and literally copying and pasting those so that could be a replacement of a computer um, or a server, for example, um, the requirements, you know, you don't need to go mental with requirements there or even architecture. They, they don't really need to be involved. And it's a service request that your service management team can really get on with. Now, in that case, the requirements are pretty are clear and the scope should be what they are. Okay. However, even in those scenarios, you can have cost and time problems, delays in terms of getting uh, equipment, so a senior manager wants a new iPhone, the iPhone doesn't turn up, you've already decommissioned their old phone or plan to send that back, they don't get their phone in time, you have to come up with an alternative, not, scope changes, time changes. So, you know, every request or every job to be done is a mini project, so I'm not minimizing that. But in terms of uh, projects proper and BA work, this problem you will encounter, and if you don't encounter this problem, then are you doing it right, would be my question. And the question I'm talking about is prioritizing business requirements and user stories and managing scope creep. This is a problem that nearly every program project has. And there will be a one of the solutions here, and we'll talk about it when we get down to uh, the Agile methodology, Agile in some ways has made this better, in some ways has made this a lot worse. So it's not the magic bullet, uh, but we're going to go through five approaches to prioritizing business requirements and managing scope creep. I'm going to begin with a bit of a premise here, and this is 
the premise that I just started with before, which was the suggestion that every project experiences this to some degree. And I believe this is to be true. If your project has only must-have requirements, so only requirements that have to be done in order to meet the objectives, that's the definition, by the way, of must-have. When you talk to your product owner or your project manager or the business owner, depending on the scenario or makeup of your particular team and environment, if all the requirements are must-have, then that means that all those things have to be done in order to meet the objective. Okay, so if the objective is to save call times or reduce call times by 20% in the call contact center, then, then if all your requirements are must-have for your new CRM system, which I highly doubt, by the way, then all those requirements have to be done. And if they don't, your project's a failure. Simple as that. If you are a BA who just, it's a shopping list and you have to do everything on there, then you, this is a wake-up call for you to look at prioritization. There should be things in there that I should have, that the product owner wants, the business owner wants, but at the end of the day, and I'm talking about at the 11th hour, when the money's short, when the time's ticking, if you don't do that requirement, will it stop you meeting the objective? The 20% cool saving time. And if it's simply a requirement around the fact that they want something on a screen, on, you know, uh, screen three to save a click, but actually you've already saved, you know, that 20%, then that requirement is only a should have, okay? And you could argue, and a should have, we'll talk about what that means. Um, it could also be a could have. And there's also the concept of won't have, okay? Out of scope and won't have requirements are so important. And we'll get to that point. I'll get to this point. Uh, won't have an outer scope is just as important uh, when defining scope. Okay, let's get into the five approaches to prioritizing business requirements and managing scope. So number one, I've already touched on it, if you know the terminology I'm using, and that's the Moscow method. If you haven't heard of the Moscow method, where have you been? You need to at least apply the Moscow method to your requirements. Okay, and when I say that, maybe visualize a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet with your requirements in it, and you'll say, well, I use Jira, but we'll come back to that, and a column, so a field in Jira, or simply just a note in Jira, and the Moscow method, which is an acronym, stands for um, must-have, and there's an O, and then an S, which is should-have, and then a C, and then an O, and then a W, so Moscow, okay, like like the um, effectively the city. Now, must-have requirements, these are non-negotiable requirements. So essential for project success. And, and another way of saying that, the way I say it is um, one or more of your objectives will not be met if that requirement is not done. They have to be, it, it has to be done. Now, don't get confused between it has to be done first. They're two different things. And we'll talk about prioritization in terms of sequence and prioritization aren't one and the same. It may not be possible for you to implement, you know, feature X or requirements uh, Y uh, in, uh, straight away. So don't, don't go, I have to do this in sprint one if you're doing agile, okay? Uh, it's a priority um, as it needs to be done before the end of the project or the time that's allocated for this project up front. But it is 
doesn't necessarily need to be done first. So let's not get confused between sequence and prioritization. Next in Moscow is the S, which stands for should have. So these are important features, but they can be deprioritized if necessary. So that's that that's the necessity side. That's the they're not necessary, but they would make the whole experience, they would delight the customer. If you just did the must-have, then you may not get someone with a smiley face. You might just get someone going, oh, okay, you achieved it. So should-have requirements are important because sometimes they add a little bit of spice. They add a little bit of, um, you know, the un, kind of unwritten um, kind of desire and need that the business owner says. Uh, so, you know, um, it's important to have them. Um, and it's important that you plan to try in your project, I would say, to scope both your must and should. So if you are doing line items in terms of budgeting, I would say that your budget plus contingency should be um, against your must and your should have requirements. Okay? So uh, because we've just talked about the difference between being a good project and a great project, it's probably doing the shoulds as well. The next is could have requirement, the C. So could have requirements are nice to have. That's another way of saying that, but use the C, please, if you're using Moscow, or otherwise you're introducing another uh, methodology, and it's it's um, it's hard for people to jump ahead. Moscow is quite an easy acronym to remember. Um, could have requirements are ones that add value. So they add value to the end customer, to the objective that we've talked about. So maybe in our call center example, we were saving uh, call times by 20% and we're implementing a CRM system. Let's say that's the solution that meets our requirements. And one of the core have requirements is maybe pop-up. So when someone calls, uh, the card, the contact card, the screen with their name and address pops up. Now that could be even a should have requirement, but in this scenario, that could save a lot of time and that could be a could have. However, it may be, there may be a search bar and if we can enter their phone number into the search bar and we get it off the call uh, phone um, system, then, you know, you can still meet the requirement of identifying who the caller is. That's the requirement. And so we don't necessarily have to do it. It's not a must have. The um, other part of Moscow, so think, you know, think Russian, <laughs> think harsh. That's what these should be. Won't have requirements are features that are going to be excluded. So there are things that we kind of want in our Christmas list. Let's say we're in the Christmas season. The things we kind of want, but they won't be done. We, we have made a determination. When I say we have made, the, the business owner or the product owner has made a determination. We've taken it to them. We've had a discussion. We've worked out uh, the complexity behind that requirement. Maybe we've got more information from a vendor. Maybe we've talked to an architect and they're saying that's pretty complicated. And they've worked out that we're not going to do it. Okay. It's really important to say that because you may, won't have requirements. The purpose of them is to explicitly say we're not doing it. And they're ambiguous generally, as in if you didn't tell a developer um, that this wasn't in scope, they may think it is. Um, for example, if they're doing a login system, they're doing a, like a web app where we log in and reset our password. Maybe there's, um, maybe they just think that there needs to be a page where we, I don't know, update our profile. But I won't have requirement might be we've decided that's too expensive or decided for technical reasons we don't want that. 
So we say we won't have that requirement. Okay, so it's just to make it really crystal clear what is not in scope, but a won't have requirement is a little bit different to a project out of scope. It should be listed there. But a won't have requirement is something that you've collected and elicited along the way, and it makes sense to do it, uh, you know, in a logical um, way, but we have made a conscious decision not to do it. Okay, so we've got must, should, could, and won't. Now, a won't have requirements can also spin up another project, as in it could be a second phase. I hate the concept of a phase two because they never happen, but it could spin up another business case. Okay, it's not been justified to be done here right now for the need or for the customer journey or the job to be done or for the objective we're trying to meet right now. But let's take all the won't have requirements and bring them into a next, uh, the next release. Cool. So that's the first method. And if you're a BA, you should be at least using that method. Okay, Excel spreadsheet, column, going through with the product owner, uh, the business owner, depending on your setup. And, you know, agreeing what these are, uh, to be honest, this is like number, this is like one of the biggest things that you should do as a BA is to, you know, outline the requirements, get them clear, uh, prioritize those requirements, and maybe they, their priority might change because you're getting more information. So as the requirements are kind of locked or if you like, um, first, first, they've been defined enough in terms of um, the kind of high level, first level user stories. And they're now kind of owned by the development team. Development team may respond to those requirements and, and outline how they'll technically meet them. And you might get more information in terms of the um, how long it's going to take them to do it or story points, uh, how much it's going to cost. And you might take that list back to the um, product owner. And your job is to make a decision. Okay, so if you're in an agile situation or even a waterfall situation or a mix between the two, which is generally where most of us sit, and you get more information that that one requirement is, <laughs> that one requirement on their list that's a should have requirement is going to cost, you know, 50% of the budget of the project. It is huge. It's going to cost heaps. You know that information. You, you should know that information. You should find that information out. And then... You, Take that back to the product owner and our business owner and have a conversation. You should say, look, we, we thought it would be a great idea to have this pop-up. We've said their name. It made real sense. We've seen other contact centers do it. When someone calls, it links to the contacts to the phone system and it pops up their name and their card straight away and it will save a bit of time. And we thought that would be fantastic. We just thought that would be a, you know, kind of a musty-have and we've talked about it and we said it was a shitty-have. And it's going to cost us 500K. And, you know, the pro total cost of the project is a million, is a million, which is generally how much these systems cost to put in. And the reason it's going to cost 500K, just so you know, is the fact we have an old phone system and we'd have to upgrade that. And so they're going to do a custom integration and the custom integration is going to read the CRM record when it rings in and then it's going to uh, fire back and it's going to check the phone number and the phone number matches. It's going to pop up the... Um, the correct uh, contact record. And of course, this phone number is not unique. So there might be more than one. And we just, it's complex. And so it's going to cost 500K. It's going to cost half your budget. So do you think that's still a should have? And they'll say, no, that's a won't have requirement. So you see what I mean? This is exactly what BAs should be doing. This is exactly the power clarity of what BAs provide. And so you should be having that conversation. And of course, you need the project manager there too, if there is one. 
um, in order to have that conversation and have that realization. Uh, and 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 you don't need to know the exact dollars, but you should know um, total effort, uh, and you should know that this is proportionally way more time and effort than maybe other requirements. Usually, um, what helps with that decision during the development phase or during the kind of solutionizing phase is having a vendor response column too. So if you've got your Moscow column, your prioritization column, then you have a vendor response and things like, you know, out of the box, which means you don't have to do anything or, or configuration or coding or custom. Um, they, that, they're some indicators that are really good because then you know what Sponsors, even if it's your internal development team, they know, oh, yeah, we've already got that, or that's easy, or that's hard, or that's medium. And then another column with like effort or hours or or dollars, uh, especially if you're going externally, which you'd get if you were doing an RFP, um, that will help because then, you know, they see the dollars, they see the effort, they see the time. And then that helps uh, the product owner, business owner understand, you know, the cost differential. And you're not just, you know, telling them. Um, in terms of just having a conversation, you're showing them the data. Okay, so number one, the Moscow uh, method, and that's in our five approaches to prioritizing requirements and managing scope. The second one, the second one, is around cost-benefit analysis. So we've touched on this a little bit. What you need to, in terms of doing cost-benefit analysis for each requirement, and I look, I suggest this is a great method. I don't particularly do this enough, and maybe I should. And you get caught up in the requirements and coming back. But if you're tracing your requirements, which is what requirements traceability is about, which is why it's always good to have a copy of your requirements in, say, Excel or external to your system, or at least report on Jira and add custom fields for this, which is not hard to do. Um... You want to know for each requirement, remember, you're spending, you're spending, sorry, just a side note, you're spending a million dollars on this piece of work. This is, that's a small budget. It's not that hard to maintain an Excel spreadsheet, right? You might think duplication, but if I'm exporting from Jira and putting it into a pivot table in Excel or whatever the case may be, or adding some custom fields, you might think that's an effort. It really isn't. And once you set it up once, you kind of sort it. Okay. So that's just a side note. Do it. It's a million dollars. It's a lot of money. And if it's public money, you should, you should definitely be doing it. So you should be assessing the cost, the time and resources it uh, takes for each requirement. You should be doing that as a BA. You should be doing that with your architect. You should be doing that with the product owner, the business, you know, the PM. We should have a conversation about it and the development team. And then you should maybe get, and, and I, like I said, I don't do this enough, but maybe you should understand the business value or the user satisfaction that you get from that requirement. And when we get into product management methodologies, they're really good for outlining that. So how much of the dial would we move in terms of that um, objective that we're talking about? In this case, we just had a time-saving objective, that, uh, which was around 20% time-saving in terms of calls. And you know how much would this requirement move the dial? And we talked about the fact that, and it's not, there's the direct benefit, which is the time, the 20%, which may be all we care about. But maybe there's another objective, which is like making uh, contact centers life uh, easier, uh, faster, less complex, so we can hire uh, lower cost resources. That could be a, a requirement. Then that whole pop-up 
window when someone calls may actually be something that may make sense. Um, however, entering a phone number into a search bar shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, but, you know, there could be another requirement around the fact that uh, for our CRM system, we want to make it really easy to navigate. Okay, we want a, a, a really intuitive user interface that's similar to most web apps that are used. We want to navigate between tabs. We want to navigate and search. And so those requirements, for example, may be critical for the requirement around time saving, but also around the complexity of the system um, and, and therefore the types of staff we need to hire. Uh, contact centers generally, on average, have a high turnover. Uh, so generally you are hiring people that need to get up to speed really quickly. And on average, uh, those people aren't paid very well, which is why you see people trying to reduce that cost, uh, reduce complexity around customer relationship management. And then sometimes that's even outsourced to other countries. Okay. Uh, and I'm sure you've all experienced someone who's, who, who, for the best of their ability, is speaking maybe English if you're an English speaker, which I assume you are if you're listening to this podcast. And there's someone maybe in the Philippines who's got really great English, uh, but the reason they exist is there's a mega contact center in the Philippines, which is saving that company money, or in theory, saving that company money. Um, in terms of cost-benefit analysis, yeah, you want the cost, so that's, you can easily find that out from the solution. You should be following that all the way through. And this is what I used to refer to as um, a 360 uh, business analysis, which is why the BA should continue on the project and not move on. After the requirements are done, there is time for you to be done, even if that's 50% of your time. Um, and at the Better Business Analysis Institute, we talk about this in, in the delivery phase. So this is really important in the delivery cycle, knowing how much things cost, uh, the time, explaining that in relative terms, and understanding the benefit. Now, when we do this cost-benefit analysis, we're really comparing those two things. So it's not just the whim of, I want this thing. It's more about desire, um, the, the perception from the product owner and the business owner of what they want, which is really Moscow, which is fine. Nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that any of these methods are better than the others, except for that you should at least do Moscow, not do anything else. With cost-benefit analysis, it's a bit more scientific as in you are prioritizing the highest uh, benefit to cost ratio. So you're looking at like the cost and the expected benefit, and you're actually prioritizing based on that. So it's not an individual decision. Um, that is more of a data-driven approach, and it looks at um, making sure you're maximizing product value. I don't think people do this often. I haven't actually seen this method. Um, I actually may take this away and come up with a great method for doing this. Um, it definitely is not built into Jira um, or Azure DevOps. Um, and it is actually an opportunity there to create a little bit of a, a system. So I might take that away to the Institute and talk to my uh, fellow peers there and think about a good way for BAs to actually do this, even if it's just a spreadsheet. Um, but yeah, I have done it to some degree, which is just really a cost conversation and a, 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 an implied benefit. And then said, you know, this is going to cost X. Um, or I've done it in bundled requirements quite often. So um, should we do this? Or should let's call the project, um, for example, I'm on a program at the moment, and there's a piece of work there, and you you looked at the complexity to solve the problem, which was getting rid of a, a technology, and it was very clear that the amount of work it would take to do the analysis across that work would would be, yeah, lots and lots of millions, and it wouldn't ever 
get a, a positive return on investment. So they're, they're really tricky projects because you want to get rid of legacy tech um, that have just piled on. But, it, you know, their current state analysis, which people see as low value, um, would take so long to understand how these kind of scripts were working. Uh, so we made a determination through that cost-benefit analysis, the, you know, just in a grouped requirement as a, as a project, that, you know, we should this work and we should descope it for the program. So I've used it at that degree, but as a line item requirement, uh, not so much. And I might look to, you know, improve on that. Number three, um, we're going to be talking about what you may refer to or know about, which is the 80-20 rule. Uh, I definitely subscribe to this rule. Uh, its proper name is the Pareto Principle. I uh, hope, I, hope I'm saying that right. Um, which is around focusing on 20% of the requirements, which deliver 80% of the value. Okay, so I'll say that again. So you're focusing, focusing on, on only 20% of the requirement, probably the must-haves. They would have to be the must-haves. And they're going to deliver 80% of the value. And you defer or reevaluate the remaining uh, 20%. Okay? So only focusing, well, you could say 80% there. So you're saying that there's the 20% of requirements delivering 80% of the value, which is ensuring just the very positive path um, requirements, core functionality, and you don't do that. And the, I guess the, the other requirements, yeah, just get deferred. And that's really, you could argue that is the 20%, uh, sorry, 80, 20 rule there is talking about another way of saying it. It's a minimum viable product. There are different, uh, now terms for minimal viable product. Um, which is like minimal valuable product. There, there's a the whole podcast on that. But effectively, you're saying what is the only necessary steps to get the job done? Okay, to move from A to B. What are the only only things we need in order to get from A to B? And it's usually to test a concept, and it's a really good way of. Um, it's actually what agile should be built on. Is doing twenty percent of those requirements. So the you're only taking 20% of the backlog and you're kind of putting them through your sprints. So that's the 80-20 rule. That's number three. Uh, number four is the agile prioritization. There's lots of techniques in there. There's still uh, tools like user stories. Uh, you could say the backlog refinement, the estimation, uh, the reprioritization, the fact that you are going back to the backlog and pulling out what's most important at that point in time. So it's kind of time relevant. Um, whereas above within Moscow, that, you know, you only have check-in points, which is kind of when a critical step happens, which is at the start, once you get the solution, once you get the cost, um, you know, that kind of uh, conversation. So you're waiting, you're in, with Agile, it's baked into the methodology that you're reprioritizing. Like it's baked in, it's one of the ceremonies. Whereas with the Moscow technique, you're kind of waiting for a trigger for something to happen. So I do like the agile prioritization. I think it's important to look at requirements as you go. Um, but it also points to the fact that projects just shouldn't be that long. Like once they're, if you haven't released anything in six months, regardless of what methodology, then I found in my experience, definitely in my experience, and I've experienced this and made mistakes before, 
that if you're not releasing value, if you're not showing the end customer value, and I'm not talking about a demo, I'm talking about working functionality, you haven't rolled anything out in six months, alarm bells. Like, you know, so those priorities hopefully haven't shifted too much, but they may have. Um, usually, you know, a high functioning agile team, which is more than the development team. So with the BA and all the pre work, um, that usually cranks in a high performing development environment when you're working on your own products. Very difficult, uh, to do all of those great things when you have an external vendor, um, or, you know, you're rolling out a, a massive CRM system. Uh, you do need to write some of the stuff down and it's not as, uh, it doesn't have as much agility and it shouldn't have as much agility as something that you're building for yourself because you want some wins. You need some things to be done in order for the objectives to be uh, put across. It's not, there isn't as much adaption um, as there is within the kind of agile incremental value technique. With the agile prioritization techniques, uh, number four, you are focusing on these iterations, um, sprints and scrum. And so you are, because you're doing the iterations, you're allowing this prioritization to happen, uh, naturally happen. And of course, the, um, I guess the approach, especially if you're using scrum, you are, um, sh you are showcasing. Your work. So you're able to adjust scope as you go. Now, the interesting thing about that is that you could start off with a vision of, um, let's say your requirement was to eat healthy as you know eats a piece of fruit that was healthy you can actually start off with a vision of an apple and end up with an orange so agile is more like that whereas if you're doing a crm system you definitely want an apple and you definitely want a green apple um and so some of those you know that the, the stakeholders are waiting for you to show them a green apple okay and and the way to build a green apple without just going away and then taking a year and coming back with a green apple you know, it might be slightly moldy and they've decided, you know, maybe that isn't what they want after a year is to show them um, pieces of the puzzle. So to build the core, the literal core of the system and they say, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. I understand that you've got the skeleton. How much um, rest of the apple do we need to build on it? So there are different techniques and none of them are correct, but I think taking the best uh, and, and merging them together makes sense. Uh, the only exception I'd say to that is you have a high-functioning development agile team, leave it alone and just um, let them do their thing and uh, work with them because sometimes by getting them involved in your methodologies, you can break their flow. Uh, number five is more of a project management technique. Um, but again, if you're on a program, I've experienced this so many times, this is where you know my sense of being following the following the right methodologies and too much bureaucracy kind of hit hit hits and for someone who you know, li likes a bit of process this uh can do my head in but it's number five and it's called the change control process so if you you've been on a large program or a project uh there's usually a formal process and and what what a change control process actually seems to be about in reality, when you hit the floor, it's when you have a, a quite a hard ass um, business owner or a product owner, and you're using the PM and they're managing them, they're managing up, and they're saying, "Look, we agreed that this was the scope. If you want to change the scope, it's going to be too difficult for me as a project manager or product, you know, product team 
to manage the amount of money you've given me and the requirements you've got. We've signed off that we say you're spending a mil. This is what you can get for a mil. And you're giving me changes along the way. Okay, so this is generally associated with waterfall or non-agile. However, I've seen agile projects fail because the product owner has decided to move scope, scope creep mid-agile. And so those original objectives are completely out the window. So the way to manage a change, change control is really, to, as a BA, is to make sure that that requirement to objectives is very, very clear, okay? And a change control process generally managed by your project manager is a formal process for handling requests for change. Okay, this is really just where the, the project team has to stop. They have to uh, evaluate impact, and cost, and feasibility. They may be doing work at the same time when I say stop, but this is taking time. Uh, it requires approval from stakeholders, and it may uh, look at um, more money. So if you've got an organization that has flexibility in terms of its budget, this could be asking for more money. So I think it's important to have a change control process in any project, but it is the last. It's like the formal agreement, you know, in HR that you pull out when things aren't going well. Okay, There's, it's important to have because things can change. There can be a pressure from above. And you need to make it clear that if you make a change, there is impact. And the further away you are from doing the work, the uh, less you know uh, about that what you think is a small change, like changing the color of the screen or um, that pop-up uh, functionality we talked about before when a caller comes through, that might seem small, but actually we've worked out that that could be quite large. So you should have this process and it's there to protect you as, as a project team and the project manager and making sure that you can meet the time, the project, you know, with time, cost and quality uh, um, in the right uh in the way in which that everything's working fine. And you should have it even if you're doing an agile technique because you're going to have people adding things to the backlog, putting pressure on as must-haves, pushing it into the sprint can happen. And that could just blow up your chance of completing the job to be done or what needs to be done in order for the objective to be met. And sometimes product owners and business owners inherit requirements, uh, sorry, objectives. They're not their own. So you have to be an advocate for the business which is why you're a BA. Um, and I'm just going to give you one top tip before we go through the, t the five again. Uh, and that's just proactive communication. Your job as a BA is to provide clarity. That means regular communication around project pro process and challenges and scope adjustments. Um, even with the SMEs that you've talked about, so the expectations are set. If you don't manage expectations and talk about prioritization, then people are going to expect that they're going to have what uh, they talk to you about. And one of the tricks of being a BA is to elicitate requirements without promising it. Uh, so if someone says, I really need this, and you're like, yeah, 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 okay, we can do that. That's a mistake because you've now set their expectations up. And all you can do is either meet or not meet the requirement. So you're already at 50%. To exceed the requirements to their expectations, sorry, is what you want to do. Don't say you're going to do it. Just say, look, what is? tell me what your process is. Uh, you need open and transparent communication. Um, you need to minimize friction around scope management. You need to talk about, you need to have that data. You need to say, look, this is a 500K change. The total budget is one mil. That's the reason. You need to make a conscious decision. We can do that, 
But you know what? We may not even meet our must-haves if we do that. And so the project will be a failure. You need to be really straight up about these things. So um, good luck when you're managing scope. It is difficult. I would say probably up there is, you know, one of the top three most difficult things it is for a BA to do um, is to manage scope and prioritize requirements. And we'll just go through those five approaches. One is Moscow. Look it up. If you don't know it, you should know it 100%. Uh, Cost-benefit analysis, the 80-20 rule, agile prioritization techniques, there's quite a few of them, and change control. I would say using all of those to some degree in your project will make you a better BA. Music.